0: A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahir rabbil alamin sallallahu tbarak wa taala wa sallama ala sayidina muhammadin Sayyidina wa sanadina wa habibina wa Wamolana sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi wa ahli baitihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsan ila yawmiddin So today we start the uh, uh the eighth archetype uh uh and driver of sulook that he's going to talk about the archetype is that of the Kharazis And the archetype of Suluq is the concept of Fana and Baqa, which he'll explain. It's somewhat of a dense uh, 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 introduction, so we're not going to read a whole lot today, inshallah. So Kharrazis, they're the followers of the Shaykh Abu Sa'id al-Kharraz, who wrote brilliant works on tasawuf and attained a high degree of detachment from the world. He was the first to explain the state of annihilation and subsistence, Fana and Baqa. These are two terms that are thrown around. People oftentimes misunderstand them. Uh, And so he's going to talk about what this doctrine of fana and baqa is, of annihilation and of subsistence. Uh, And he comprehended his whole doctrine in these two terms. He would explain all of tasawwuf through these two terms. Now I will declare their meaning and show the errors into which some have fallen in this respect in order that you may know what his doctrine is and what the Sufis intend when they employ these uh, current expressions. Discourse on Baqa, subsistence and annihilation, Fana. You must know that annihilation, Fana and subsistence, Baqa have one meaning in ilm. Uh, and in the material sciences as well as the religious sciences. They have one meaning in ilm and another meaning in tasawwuf. And the formalist, Zahariyan, uh, the people of formal sci- formal sciences, are more puzzled by these words than they are than they are by the other technical terms of the uh, the Ahl al the Sufis. So every group of people have their mustalah; they have their like technical terms that they use to mean something or another. Um, the word "grip" means something different when you're uh, working out at the gym. It means something different if you're shooting a movie. If you're, you know. Uh, uh, you know, telling someone to get a grip, like you know, when giving advice, it means something different in different contexts. So, um, from the particular terminology of the solv, these are the most confusing of words to those people who are not familiar with the uh, with the, the concepts of the solv. Subsistence in its scientific and etymological uh, exception is of three types. One, the subsistence that begins and ends in. Annihilation, something that starts in subsistence and ends in, in annihilation. For example, this world which has a beginning and will have an end, but isn't currently subsistence, is baqi right now. To a subsistence which came into being and will never be annihilated. So like the Jannah and Jahannam paradise and the hellfire, and the next world and all of its inhabitants. There's, they came into existence at a particular time, but they will never, uh, they'll never never—they'll never be annihilated. They'll always exist. This is, by the way, this is not the Sufic uh, discuss, discussion. He's talking, this is actually very, very, like, Kalami uh, introduction that he's giving. And number three, a subsistence that always was and will always be, meaning the subsistence of Allah Ta'ala and his eternal attributes. Accordingly, knowledge of annihilation lies in your knowing that this entire world is perishable. And knowledge of subsistence lies in knowing that the next world is everlasting. And then he shifts gears to the the way the mutasallifah understand it. He says, but subsistence and annihilation, baqa and fana, of a state, in a particular state in a person, of a hal, denotes, for example, that when ignorance is annihilated, knowledge is necessarily subsistent. And when sin is annihilated, piety is subsistent. And when a man acquires knowledge of his piety, his forgetfulness is annihilated by the remembrance of Allah. i.e., when anyone gains knowledge of Allah and becomes subsistent in knowledge of him, he is annihilated from, meaning he entirely loses ignorance of him. And when he is annihilated from forgetfulness, he becomes subsistent in the remembrance of him, and this involves the discarding of blameworthy attributes and the substitution of praiseworthy attributes. A different signification, however, is attached to the terms uh, uh, in question by the elect of the Sufis, the people of the the highest rank. They do not refer to these expressions. Uh, they do not refer these resp- expressions to knowledge ilm or to state hal, but apply them solely to the degree of perfection attained by those awliya who have become free of the pains of mujahada and have escaped the prison of stations and the vicissitude of states, the prison of maqamat and ahwal, and whose search has ended in discovery, so that they have seen all things visible, meaning all things visible to them. Not completely visible, that's something only Allah Ta'ala can see. So that they have seen all things visible and have heard all things audible and have discovered all secrets of the heart. And who recognizing the imperfection of their own discovery. This is why, see, by the way, I'm not trying to just be Wahhabi and like be like, oh, look, you know, he's trying to make that wheel for this guy, he's a crazy Sufi, and like, I'm trying to make that wheel to break, drag, drag him back into orthodoxy or whatever. right? He's saying that a person has seen everything that they can possibly see and heard everything they can possibly hear. But there's a, 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 an experience that a person has when they reach a particular maqam where they find the thing that they're looking for. And these are oftentimes very extraordinary and supernatural experiences for some people, although I don't think for everybody they are. Um, But that person, once they get there, then they're beholden to their own imperfection. They're beholden to their own imperfection, that they've seen all these things. They see see that now that I've maxed out, I'm beholden uh, to my own imperfection who, recognizing the imperfection of their own discovery, have turned away from all things and have purposely become annihilated in the object of their desire. They said that now I see all this stuff and I see I myself, my own existences, my own sifat is an impediment uh, between me and the realization of the thing that I'm, I'm seeking, the thing that I'm looking for. Uh, so they have purposely become annihilated in the object of desire and in the very essence of desire have lost all desires of their own. Uh, and this is important also. Like, you know, the, the terminology of, of Tassawah, for example, right? A disciple, they oftentimes call them murids right? Someone is a murid. mureed. Someone once came to the Shaykh Mulana uh, Rashid uh, Ahmad Gangohi and said, I want to become your murid." And the Sheikh tells, because uh, he's a student of knowledge, uh, this this disciple or budding or uh, potential disciple so he says what does what tell me what does murid mean he says the person who has who has irada he says no it's not he says tell me what does it mean and then i'll accept you and tell them get lost so he went and he's perplexed like what am i like what would you say you you found your like this you know this is the big shift you're gonna like whatever and you probably saw some dreams and like smelled perfume and like whatever all (laughs) this other like fun stuff right and then he tells you that you're, and you think you're, this is easy, like no-brainer, like you give him the right answer, and then he's like, no, that's not what it means. So he's perplexed, and then uh, he went back, and he opened the books of sarf, which is a good thing to do from time to time. And he came back, he said, no, the murid is the one who's, uh, who has salb of his own irada. He says, yeah that's what it means and then he accepted him as a disciple mm-hmm. this is kind of weird actually Arabic has this like where the same the same root has uh, opposite can have opposite meanings right like what does this is like sweet water right now tell me what does the have to do with so you can have you can, you know this is why it's important to understand sarf because if you don't understand sarf you will end up sometimes missing like what that, you know, what, what some depth and richness or even the entire meaning of something altogether. Um, and so the idea is what? Is that the person who makes salb of his own irada, that person is the true disciple. The person who completely uh, negates his own, his own desire, that person is the true disciple. This is, what, this is what this means. This is what he's saying is that when beholding everything and you, then you're like, oh man, it clicks now. I'm the I myself, and my I'm the impediment between me and the thing that I desire. This is what's meant by a lot of, like for example, if you want to read the poetry of the Sufis and things like that, you'll see expressions and formulae that seem to indicate hulu that a person wishes to be like I'm one with God, which you don't. That doesn't he'll very emphatically negate all of that, right? Stupid people cannot tell the difference between one and the other. This is why smart people, quote-unquote smart people, and quote-unquote spiritual people or advanced people or like, you know, whatever, select and elect and whatever type people, they should not say these things in public. Why? Because it becomes a fitna for for simple-minded people. Because simple-minded people and the elect should know that this is not what it means. The negation of one's own desire and wishing to... So, uh, um, to to put in exchange to substitute for it the desire uh, of the of the one that's being desired there's something different between that and saying oh I become I'm God now or like God lives in me or something stupid like that uh, and so this is this is what he's saying So that when a person becomes beholden to this fact that they themselves are the biggest veil between them and what they want uh, they become annihilated in favor of the object of desire and in the very essence of desire have lost all desires of their own. For when a man becomes annihilated from his own attributes, he attains perfect subsistence. Uh, he is never, he's neither near nor far, nor is he a stranger, nor intimate, nor sober, nor intoxicated, nor separated, nor united. He has no name uh, or sign or mark or brand. In short, real annihilation from anything involves consciousness of its own imperfection and absence of desire for it. Not merely that a man should say when he likes a thing, oh, I'm subsistent therein. Uh, Or when he dislikes a thing, he should say, I'm annihilated therefrom. Uh, For these qualities are characteristic of one who is still seeking. In annihilation, meaning true annihilation, there is no love or hate. And in subsistence, meaning true subsistence, there is no consciousness of union or separation. Some wrongly imagine that annihilation signifies loss of essence and destruction of personality. That you actually stop being you. Um, in the uh, in, in the most literal uh, way possible. And that subsistence uh, indicates uh, the subsistence of God inside of a man, with Riyadh Billah. Both of these notions are absurd. In India, I had a dispute on this subject with a man who claimed to be versed in Quranic exegesis, meaning tafsir and in theology and kalam. When I examined his pretensions, I found that he knew nothing of annihilation and subsistence and that he could not distinguish between eternal and phenomenal. Between what? The Qadim and the, the Hadith. Allah Taala is the Qadim. Allah Taala is the one who's transcendent above time and space. Hadith is everything accidental, who just that lives in the circuses of circus of causes and effects. So I I found that you couldn't differentiate one from the other, which is a great number of people lil Asaf al that open their mouths uh, uh, and pretend to ilm from the Ummah, uh, in uh, to this very day. So many ignorant Sufis consider that total annihilation finalai is possible but this is manifest error for annihilation of different parts of material substance the the teena, the theme the that you're made of uh, the, the 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 earth that you're made of for the uh, annihilation of different parts of a material substance can never take place the first law of thermodynamics the only the only one who has the license to to, to uh, be exempt from it is Allah Ta'ala. Otherwise, everybody else is bound by it. I ask these ignorant and mistaken men, what do you mean by this type of annihilation? If they answer, annihilation of substance, fanaya'ayn, that is impossible. Because matter and energy are neither created nor destroyed, except for by the creator and destroyer. Jalla if they answer annihilation of attributes, uh, that is only possible insofar as one, attri- one attribute may be annihilated through the subsistence of another attribute. Right? The a'rad, the, 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 um, one uh, characteristic can be uh, uh, annihilated by the existence of another one. Something can't be like black and white in the, in the same sense, in the proper sense at the same time. Both attributes belonging uh, to man. Uh, uh, one can replace another, that's all. But it is absurd to suppose that anyone can subsist through the attributes of another individual. This is where he gets to a very interesting point. He said, The Nestorians of Rum and the Christians hold that Maryam Salam annihilated by self-mortification, by mujahada all the attributes of humanity inside of herself. That through her worship, that she an- annihilated all of the, uh, the attributes of her own uh, humanity, osafi nasuti, and that the divine subsistence became attached to her, so that she was made subsistence through the uh, subsistence of God, and that Christ was uh, the result thereof. And that he was not originally composed of the stuff of humanity, but because his subsistence uh, is produced by realization of the subsistence of God, Uh, and that in consequence of this he and his mother and God all are subsistent through one subsistence which is eternal and an attribute of God Uh, um, which he's said is impossible it's a type of silliness but this is the type of this is a type of talk that Christian theology is based on I would like to right now interject some relevant tangents one is that this is all repackaging and repurposing of like neoplatonic paganism people suppose that the romans accepted christianity but that's only part of the story there was actually quite a uh, uh, uh quite a large contingent of philosophers uh from amongst the byzantines because within rome the the philosophy was always dominated by the the uh, uh, Hellenocentric part of the empire, be, be, be the people who were, uh, 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 people who were, they s- talked, spoken, and, and, and taught in Greek. In Greek, you had to learn, even as a Roman, you had to learn Greek in order to become a philosopher. And so that class of philosophers were like really not cool with anything having to do with the actual teachings of Christ. And so there was a, a tussle, a push and pull. There were some people actually accepted Christianity and then they apostated because the, uh, uh, um, the, the, the Greek philosophers, the Neoplatonic philosophers, they actually argued, you know, in favor of their uh, paganist, paganism and their like, kind of uh, philosophical, peripatetic philosophical worldview and there was actually uh, in fact uh, one of the uh, roman emperors actually after the christianization of the empire actually apostates and becomes a pagan again i think his name is julian we can look it up though don't quote me on it in front of other people make a fool out of yourself go we'll learn these things from like the people who should learn them from <laughs> but the point is is what is that uh, is that this basically becomes like a big you know like a big public dis- debate and discussion and what ends up happening, you know, one would think is that the Christians win over the uh, Neoplatonist pagan philosophers. What actually ends up happening is they kind of make a truce and they like, you know, they don't have this, like, in their, uh, in their you know, that's not something that they, they consider part of their deen. So they kind of just make a truce with one another and they accept enough paganism to keep the pagans happy, to keep the philosophers happy, and enough Christianity to keep the Christians happy. And that's. How we get all of these kind of weird Christological heresies that like ended up in genocide in the early church, and so he mentions all of this, and then look what he says. This is the relevant part that we should, you know, that that I wanted that I wanted to, you know, people to hear. All of this, this thing he said about like you know the Hulul wal billah of the the attributes of the Allah Taala in say the Maryam alayhi and resulting in Christ and etc. etc. He said all of this this agrees with the doctrine of the anthropomorphic sect of the Hashawiyah. The Muslims, anthropomorphous Muslims, who maintain that the divine essence is a locus of phenomena, and that the eternal may have phenomenal attributes. I ask all who proclaim such tenets, what difference is there between the view of the eternal, uh, that the eternal is the locus of phenomena, uh, uh, and that the view that the phenomenal is the locus of the eternal or between the assertion that the eternal has phenomenal attributes or the assertion that the phenomenal has eternal attributes if you are going to say you can mix between one and the other what's the difference between between those muslims who say bil yadu billah that allah has a body and is in the sky and walks around and has you know you know looks like a person and all of these other things that the mutakallimun like categorically refute what is it impossible about this idea that Christ is God? If you accept this type of conception of Allah subhanahu wa taala, which is a very valid question, it's extremely valid question. If you're going to say that God can walk around, you know, in the, you know, in the earth in the guise of a human being, then what's different between you know you and between the Christian? Why is it that the Christians what they say is impossible when they say, but when you say the exact same thing, it's not? Uh, it's not. It's not impossible anymore. Such doctrines involve materialism, dar, which is what attributing material reality to the divine, uh, and attributing divine reality to the material. So some people say that what that God is like a person. So they're attributing material realities to the divine, that he has a body, he sits in a chair, he goes from there, he comes here, he says something, he responds to something, you know, he changes his mind, he gets angry, he gets upset, just all the same things that happen to the Hawadith, the the things that live in the world of cause and effect. And some of them, what do they do? They attribute the attributes of divine to material things, like the Hindus, for example, that they believe that the material world has always been around, that it has Baqa, that it's Qadim, and that it will always be around, it has Baqa, and that it can neither be created or destroyed, it just goes through cycles again and again, it just lives forever like this, which is what? Attributing divine attributes to material things. From both sides, it's Dahr, it's, it's materialism. And uh, destroy such in doctrines involve Dahr, materialism, and destroy the proof of the phenomenal nature of the universe, and compel us to say that both the Creator and His creation are eternal, or that both are phenomenal. Uh, which is what the Hashawiyah end up saying, including their most famous uh, representative that we don't need to name right now, but also who believes that the alam is qadim. Say no, he says no one thing in the alam, in the universe, is, is, was eternally existent, but the universe itself was eternally existent. It's just like an endless uh, 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 circle of like causes and effects, cause and effects. No one cause or effect of being eternal, but the phenomenon that the universe is made up of has always existed. Uh, although they oftentimes won't say that publicly because the Muslims were, are not really going to appreciate that a whole lot because it seems uh, pretty open and shut, kufr, as well as being uh, patently against the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Kanallahu that are completely incompatible with this uh, conception of the universe. It destroys the proof of the phenomenal nature of the universe and compels us to say that both the creator and his creation are eternal, or that both are phenomenal. Uh, both are, they have always been there, and that both are subject to causes and effects. Or that what is created may be commingled with that which is uncreated, or that what is uncreated may descend into that which is created. Uh, and so this is one of the earliest books on tasawwuf He's saying very clearly this idea, which is a caricature, the straw man caricature that many uh, of the haters make against the Mutasawwifah, saying that this is what they believe—that it's like somehow like a person becomes one with God or ulul or Ittihad or all this other nonsense—that this is what the Sufis teach. It's never—it never was. It never was. It always, it's always been considered kufr. And this is not what Fanan baqabim If they cannot help admitting that creation is phenomenal, then their creator also must be phenomenal because the locus of a thing is like a substance. If the locus, if the mahal is phenomenal, then it follows that the contents of the locus of the the, the hal within that mahal are phenomenal as well. In fine, uh, when one thing is linked and united and commingled with another, both things in principle are as one. Accordingly, our subsistence and annihilation are attributes of ourselves. The fana and baqa that the mutasallifah talk about, this is an attribute of oneself. it's not an attribute of Allah Ta'ala. Uh, and resemble each other in respect of their being, our own attributes. Annihilation, fana, is the fana of one attribute through the subsistence of another attribute. One may speak, however, of a fana that is independent of substance and of also of a baqa, a subsistence that is independent of annihilation. In that case, annihilation means the annihilation of all remembrance of the other. So it's not to be taken like literally to that that level. And subsistence means the subsistence of the res- re- re- remembrance of God. Meaning what? The fanai, uh, fana'i uh, the, f- the fana of the desire of other things, and the baqa is the baqa is zikri haq, the baqa of the remembrance of Allah. Whoever is annihilated from his own will subsists in the will of God, uh, because your own will is perishable and the will of God is everlasting. Uh, And when you stand by your own will, you stand by annihilation. But when you uh, are absolutely controlled by the will of God, you stand by subsistence. Similarly, the power of fire transmutes uh, to its own quality anything that falls into it. And surely God's will uh, is greater than fire. It can change the nature of things. Uh, But fire affects only uh, 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 the quality of iron. It doesn't change its, uh, uh, its um, its actual material because iron can never become fire. This is a analogy he makes, but it's short. Why? Because you cannot make an analogy between the creator and the created. So obviously there's a fire that you can make that's hot enough that will actually burn iron into uh, iron oxide or whatever. Uh, I guess, theoretically, you could pump enough energy into the system that you can actually rip the uh, uh, the, the, the nucleus apart and it just will like be scattered, uh, whatever, subatomic particles or whatever, right? But with Allah, you can never, it'll never get to that point. The point he's trying to say is what? Is that there's enough, there's enough power within the fire that it will alter the attributes of the iron, but the iron is not going to burn in it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his zikr has enough power that it will alter your attributes, except for you'll never be so consumed with it that you become it. Uh, and so that's what that's what he means, uh, uh, that's what we mean, and that's what the Ahlul the Haq, when they talk about fana and baqa, what they mean by it. وصَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَلَى الرَّسُولِ يَسِيرُنَا مُحَمَّدٌ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ